My name is Nikita Banks, and welcome to another episode of Black in Therapy. Black in Therapy is a podcast where we discuss the unique issues people of color face when dealing with mental health issues and mental health diagnosis. You can reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Black in Therapy. You can also sign up to our mailing list at blackintherapy.com and email us feedback and show suggestions at blackintherapy at gmail.com. So this week I went to a movie, Get Out, right? So first of all, let me let me say this. I'm gonna go back a little bit. We had a banner kind of like weekend for black people, right? Like the end of Black History Month this this month, we just kind of like, I don't know, pulled up the rear with Moonlight, which is a very important movie. If you haven't seen it, you should go see it. Winning Best Picture after the whole La La Land foolishness. So after the, the snafu at the Oscars where La La Land was given the award and Moonlight won. But not only that, my favorite from Key and Peele, Jordan Peele wrote this amazing movie called Get Out. And I've been like dying to see it for months and I have a fire stick. I was like, it was on a fire stick. I was like trying not to see it on a fire stick for free because I really wanted to support his movie. And then... Uh, a friend of mine and myself, we decided that we were going to go and see it on Sunday. And whoa. Okay. So spoiler alerts. I'm going to talk about this fabulous movie and how terrifyingly realistic it is and how it was so smartly written and um, some of the, the takeaways that... People who are African-American and who live in the black experience in America can definitely take away from this movie. So actually tonight I took some notes. Um, I'm trying to like not edit the shows too much. I'm trying to deal with, you know, some of the things that I do that I try to edit out. And so tonight I'm actually organized, which is not something that happens all the time here. So um, bear with me. Um so the movie was about a guy named Chris and a girl named Rose. Chris is black. Rose is white. And they were going to meet the parents after four months. So I'm basically going to tell you the plot of the movie. I'm basically going to tell you a lot about the movie. So if you have not seen the movie now, now is the time to turn us off and maybe go find another episode to listen to. Okay. Right. So first of all, you know, the girl that I went to go see the movies with, we both have teenage black because we're black, black sons. And so um, watching the movie for us, we, we were kind of like, um, you know, this is interesting. Like, we're going to see where this is going to take us. And she doesn't like scary movies. And I like psychological thrillers, but I actually don't like scary movies. So... Um, the funny thing is, movie, walking into this movie, she kept saying, I don't like movies that could be real. I don't like movies that could be real. And without knowing anything about the movie, because what I loved about the trailer is besides, you know, what I just said is that a black girl, a black guy and a white girl were going to meet her parents uh, for the first time in the suburbs. It didn't see what really happened. We just knew that it was going to be scary. So for like months, I had been waiting 
based off the trailer to see this movie. And again, I said I'm a Key and Peele fan and a Jordan Peele fan. And I've kind of watched them since their days on Mad TV. So I was excited to see this movie. And I'm going to get into why I think this space is the place to talk about this movie. So as a licensed social worker here in New York, I am blessed to work in a space where we talk about diversity and we talk about safe spaces for the oppressed and people of color, um, LGBTQ communities, and um, other people that may be discriminated against. So... I've kind of had these conversations around race and the terrifying um, incidents that happens with racial incidents. And so um, I don't really think that that's common to most workplaces. So I've had a lot of these talks and discussions. And so um, for me, one of the, the things about the movie was the terrifying reality of unsafe spaces for people of color. And so... Um, Yes, he put himself in a predicament where he was dating a white girl and hello, love is love, right? So we say, but um, it wasn't really so much of their relationship as it seemed on the surface, which was the problem. It really was when you're inviting the world into those relationships, do you have that additional layer of danger and issues? And, you know, we know this. So, um... Without giving away a lot of the movie, although I'm going to give away a lot of the movie, (laughs) one of the things about the movie that really struck me as terrifyingly real is the fact that um, Chris's body and the other black people in the movie, their black bodies were kind of part of these medical experiments. And... You know, as I stated, uh, Darlene, who I went to go see the movies with, shout out, Goody, um, kept saying, oh, this is so real. This could really happen. This could really happen. I was thinking, you know, as the movie progressed, like, holy hell, like this has really happened. So there have been, you know, many, a many, a many of stories where we talk about black people using or losing the rights to Um, agency over their own bodies. And of course, you know, we know about slavery, right? And um, the fact that black men and women were seen as animals and used as chattel and, you know, in the constitution, they're seen as three-fifths of human beings. And so this idea of lack of agency when it comes to, um, you know, control over our body was very, very terrifying and terrifyingly real. Um, If you know your history or you know black history or American history, you'll know that there's been several instances in American history where black bodies have been used for experiments. Namely, you know, the the largest one is the Tuskegee experiment, which is the syphilis study that was done at Tuskegee University, which is an African-American university. university. And um, there were 600 black men in the study who thought that they were being treated for syphilis or they thought that they were being in a study. They didn't even know that they had syphilis. They were given medical attention, I say in air quotes, and they weren't treated for anything. And so what ended up happening is that their wives, their children, and uh, the communities were affected by these people having syphilis for all this time. 
without knowledge. The the study started in the 1930s and it ended in 1972. And that's like, you know, a 40 year time period where syphilis was able to run rampant. And it's so ironic that today actually saw an article on CNN, which stated that syphilis births um, and babies being born to congenital syphilis infection was on the rise. And you have to kind of think of what kind of government would do this to a group of people and the arrogance to think that it would never spread to the majority or it would always just stay within this community. So biological warfare and the lack of agency over our bodies have been something that black people have had to deal with ever since we came into this country. And we know this with the Indians, right? So smallpox was something that was used to kill off the Indians when, um, you know, the ancestors, not mine, but when the ancestors came to this country, they gave the Indians blankets with smallpox in them. And that's how they were murdered. And so this idea that biological warfare or science used as the weapon for the majority against minorities in this country is not that far-fetched. Um, also, there was another study. Also, a good movie that's coming out um, soon would be Oprah Winfrey's portrayal of Henrietta Lacks, whose genes and cells were used and taken without her knowledge and or consent and have been used for the past 60 years um, in scientific experiments without her parent, her family's permission without her permission and without compensation and so this idea that black bodies is something to use as a commodity is something that's been happening for the past 200 years in this country and still goes on i.e prison industrial complex right and if you, if you think about the um doctor of modern gynecology he's been known to use black women who were slaves uh, for scientific experiments and actually provided these archaic um, surgeries without any kind of anesthetic, without any kinds of uh, thought to her well-being or their well-being. And this is something that has roots in modern science today. And so we know there are many and many studies that says that black men or black people are either overly medicated or under medicated because there's this belief that we can handle pain at a different rate than whites. And so science and doctors have repeatedly failed us. And it's also why I do what I do here. Um, in watching the movie, one of the parents the in the meet the parents part was a surgeon and the wife was a hypno hypnotherapist and as I was watching the movie all I can be thinking to myself was oh god this is gonna make my my job so much harder <laughs> because um Chris was hypnotized without his consent in the movie and so you know I know some psych 
psychotherapists who actually use hypnosis or like the thought of hypnosis. And I'm not going to lie. I have thought about hypnosis and studying um, the art of hypnosis. I'm not quite sure what I would use it for, but I did think about, you know, taking some trainings in it just to educate myself on the process. And, you know, there's this thought whenever I speak to black people about the fact that I'm a psychotherapist, the first thing they say to me is, oh, I don't want you in my head. I don't want you to know what I'm thinking. And I would say I'm a psychotherapist. I'm not a psychic. But a hypnotherapist exactly does that, right? They they put suggested thoughts in your head and they take you places that you may not want to go. And so watching this process of of Chris going through these motions, you know, while he was under hypnosis was very scary for me. And it was also something that I know could possibly be true. Now, do I believe in hypnosis? I don't know. I've never tried it. It's not one of those things that I even think about, but, um, you know, on like a daily basis, but it is something that I know that, you know, the people say is rooted in science. And it is something that I have been thinking about adding to my practice. I don't know if that's something that I want to do now, but, um, you know, again, it, it, pride into the primal fears that we culturally have about this intrusion into our thoughts and our minds and our bodies. And these are things that are very real for us. These are real fears. And they're not only real fears, but they're not irrational and they're not unfounded. If you know the history of black people and agency over their bodies in this country. Okay, so when a lot of people think about white privilege, I like to challenge that term. I don't think of white people so much as being privileged, even though, yeah, they are. I think of it more in terms of agency. And the difference is, is that, you know, poor white people don't see themselves as privileged. They see themselves as living in their circumstances and they see themselves as, you know, dealing and struggling with what they're struggling with. But they, what they don't understand is that they have choices over their domain. They have choices over certain things that sometimes black people or people of color or oppressed people don't have because certain ideas, thoughts, perceptions and agendas are thrust upon us and thrust upon our lives. And so this is something that you definitely see within this movie is that all he wanted to do was satisfy his girlfriend and meet the parents. And meanwhile, there was this whole institutional scheme in this town to an intergenerational scheme in this town to make sure that he was able to do their bidding and that his only purpose in life was to satisfy their needs, wants, and desires. And that's as real as it gets for racism and black people and people of color in particular all over the globe and white supremacy and white oppression. So after a while in the movie, I started to 
lose myself in certain things that was happening. And I kept saying to my my friend, I'm going to have to unpack this. I'm going to have to unpack it because it was so multi-layered in the brilliance of discussing racism. My fear is that black people would be scared to death. My fear is that it may give some nefarious white people bad um, ideas and it would make the the target audience, those who were to see this movie who were black, I mean, white liberals who thinks that they love black people and would vote for Obama again, the introspection to look in their hearts and say, you know what, I probably have biases. But I, my fear is that they would look at it and see it and say, you know what, that's not real. It would never happen. And the only way that they would do that is because they do not know the history and are not interested, genuinely interested in the history of white oppression and the role white supremacy plays in still keeping black people in their place in this country. So when my friend kept saying, you know, this could really happen, um, you know, her and I are both mothers of black men in this country. They're both college age and they're dating. And, you know, for me, my son has always been in an environment where the community has been more mixed than what I grew up in. I grew up in an all black community. My teachers were black. My minister was black. You know, my my friends and their friends and their parents were all black until I was about 14. My son has had more of a diverse experience and introduced to um, people from other races very early. Uh, he was acting. He was on Broadway. And so being around different races and classes and different things, it was very normal for him. And that's that fear of not being able to insulate him from people who think that they're okay with black people and they're really not. They're really not. So, um, again, the mother and father's unauthorized treatment and, you know, pathologizing of this young man's behaviors and denying his agency over his body was very plausible as it relates to race, privilege, and the history of this country. Um, also, what happened was that the grandfather and the father had desi designed this surgical procedure that took away a black person's inability to fight and left only their motor skills intact, not only fight, but think for themselves, left their motor skills intact, but they some sort of way transported part of the thinking brain of theirs, of the white person into the black body. And so it kind of brings to mind like the fetishism of black bodies and how black people are, are reduced to a sum of body parts. And so, um, you know, the fact that the, the surgery is almost a transplant or blame transplant also shows how black bodies are fetishized. And as blacks, we're reduced again to body parts. And this leads back to our national roots of enslavement in this country with thought of chattel and um, constitutional references as three-fifths of human beings. 
which is inhuman, right? So if we're three-fifths of human beings, then we're almost human, but not quite. And that for many, many years, it substantiated the treatment that we got in this country, which obviously is a problem. As I watched the movie and I realized that it was plausible <laughs> that uh, Rose, who was the lily white lore and allure in this movie, that she was not only innocent, but a willing accomplice to this scheme to bring these black bodies there uh, for this kind of use. It was like, holy shh, he's hitting all of the points. Right. Because white purity is the basis of white supremacy. Right. A white woman's purity and the alluring lure of the prize in white proximity to blackness has always fueled racist attacks to protect the honor of these delicate flowers of women in this country. And so when you think of the Charleston massacre and Dylan Roof saying, oh, they're stealing our white women, or you think about, um, I don't know, any other racist attack or lynching um, that's happened in this country, you see that it tracks back to the purity of white women in this country and making sure that they are protected. And Alison Williams, who portrayed Rose, ironically, is the daughter of newsman Brian Williams. Uh, he's a liberal journalist haha, um, who was suspended from NBC News from lying, for lying about different things in, in his career um, and was caught to and, and proven to not be telling the truth. I think that that's funny because... Um, in this context, because the hashtag that I've started to use whenever there were these instances of white power or white privilege is white lies matter. And so um, when a white woman lies about advancements or um, different things that they say a black man has done to them in defense of their honor, Patriarchy and white men feel obligated and emboldened to do something and to uh, commit violence because of it. And I just think that it's funny that the main person in this movie was this white girl that not until the end did a lot of people suspect was um, in on it. Although my the person that I went to the movies with, she was like, she's in on it. She bringing them near. She bringing them near. And I'm like, no, girl. Uh-uh. Until um, I watched things a little bit more. And I was like, you know what? Yes. Now, the main thing about this movie, right, that made it so real to me was microaggressions. And if you're not familiar with the term, you are not alone. 
<laughs> so microaggression theory, and I'm just going to read it from Wikipedia. Um, psychiatrist and Harvard University professor Chester M. Pierce in the 1970s described insults and dismissals. He regularly witnessed non-black Americans inflict on African-Americans. Eventually, the term came to encompass the casual degradation of any socially marginalized group, such as the poor and the disabled. Now, um, I never heard of this term until I got into college for social work. And part of what we did was study race, class, and privilege. And so, for example, my story of microaggression was when I went to my job interview for my internship, this white social worker, when we're, like I said, we're pretty liberal, or we like to think that we are, um, said to me, and I was in an interview at a court. And I looked very nice. I like to dress very nice. And she said to me, oh, my God, you look so polished. Like, duh, you know, B word. This is a job interview. Of course, I'm I'm polished. And so when I went back to school and I learned this term microaggression, I got into this whole discussion. And I was like, hey, the white girl in my job interview said I looked polished. And they were like, oh, my God, that was a microaggression. Oh, you should have been upset. And I was like, I didn't even know that I should be offended. So microaggressions to me is kind of like... That thing, that intangible feeling you feel, and then somebody says something to you, and then you be like, did that just, did she just do, it, was that about my race? Did that? No. Wait a minute. Yes, it was. It felt like, uh, no. It couldn't be. So the whole time in this movie, Chris was like, they can't be racist. Is that racist? Did they really mean that when they said the brother keeps saying my man and the father keeps calling me yo and keep wanting to pound and talk about the black experience in Obama? Is that racist? So just the the fact that the movie had overtly microaggression-y feeling kind of things in the movie, it... The thing about microaggressions and the thing about this movie that made it so brilliant is that usually whenever they happen, you go through this emotion of, did that just happen? What was that that just happened? Am I being sensitive? Maybe they didn't mean it that way. But damn, it sure felt like they meant it like that way. So just that feeling of unsure and uncertainty and I'm being sensitive and then that internalized struggle that we usually have to deal with when we're dealing with people who don't look like us, right? And so that thing that usually we try to ignore, especially in the workplace, especially in a relationship with somebody of a different color or a different race or different culture, those are things that we like to try to not think about. Well, I have another story about microaggressions. So I have a friend who is a social worker and I love her dearly. I'm going to just say that off top. But recently we were going to an event from some guy who I guess he had money. I really wasn't paying attention. And she asked me to invite my boyfriend. And I was like, nah, he's not going to come. And, you know, this is not a big deal. And she said, he should, he should come. You should invite him so he should see how civilized people are. What? The? <laughs> what? Now I know, I know in her heart, 
it was just a stupid thing to say. I know it was stupid, but yeah, that is a microaggression. And usually I don't have a problem calling the person out on it. I don't care if I'm right and I don't care if I'm wrong because I feel like if I'm wrong, at least I get them to think about maybe you should see the effects your words have if taken in the wrong context. And usually when you call a person out on a microaggression, what they say is, oh, no, I didn't mean it that way. Oh, you took it that way. I'm, I'm so offended that you're taking it that way. And so that was the thing that was utilized in this movie more than anything. Like, oh, it, 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 they didn't really mean it that way. They didn't really mean it that way. Except for he was dismissing a lot of the things and she seemed to be hyper, super sensitive and hyper, super aware of the role that race played in how weird her family was behaving when all alone she was in on it. I'm telling you the movie, I don't care. I don't care, I don't care. When I mention white lies and I mention um, the role that it plays in denying black men in this country justice, I can look no further than Carolyn Bryant Dunham. And I know most of you, like me, don't even know that name, but you do know her victim. So last month, a Miss Carolyn Bryant Dunham, I don't know, she's like in her 80s or 70s or whatever, but she admitted that she told a lie when she alleged that a young Emmett Till whistled at her and made lewd comments towards her. Most of you know that Emmett Till is the black young man who was lynched, killed, and murdered. He was from Chicago, but he was sent down south for uh, the summer with his, with his family while his mom stayed in Chicago. And allegedly, he was going to the store to um, get something with his cousins. He whistled at a white woman, and he was strung up and murdered. And... As a result of Till's death, it set off or was kind of the tipping point of the civil rights movement in this country. And so recently, I don't know, some almost 50, 60 odd years later, she has decided to clear her conscience. Um, allegedly, a book was written where she decided that she was going to tell the truth. The book is not going to be released until, I don't know, 20, 30 something or upon her death. And my question is, is she's right. She has been allowed to write a book about her little white lie, white lie, big white lie that caused this boy his death and caused his his mother, her only son, all the years of heartache. She gets to write a book about it. Now, does her family benefit from her lie? Who knows? Who knows? But, um, you know, these are the things that came to mind when watching Get Out. What actually inspired me to write this um, podcast or put this podcast together today was reading a Cosmopolitan of all places or things article 
entitled Get Out perfectly captures the terrifying truth about white women. The article was written by Kendra James, and I'm going to just read an excerpt from the article. White women have always played and continue to play a large part in upholding the supremacy. They have not held the best interests of people of color. Putting full trust in them has often been to our detriment. Rose's willingness to put herself and essentially the survival of white bodies above the well-being of black people was an unsurprising, was as unsurprising as it was terrifying. In Get Out, whiteness trumps all, and the true horror is leaving the theater knowing that in this case, it's not just a movie. So, if you haven't gone to see this movie, shame on you because I just told you the whole daggone movie. But if you have gone to see the movie and you would love to discuss um, this in depth, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook page at Black in Therapy. Also, I want to shout out my middle school friend, Lanice, for starting this uh, Facebook group about to discuss Get Out. I think that that was awesome. And I didn't really get a chance to like get in there and like really get in, really get in my feelings about the movie. But, you know, I figured that I would come in and record this show so that I would pack or unpack some of the emotions that I was feeling from seeing the movie the other night. Okay, so once again, this has been another episode of Black in Therapy. Hopefully you have subscribed to our SoundCloud. Hopefully you are following us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And hopefully you are signed up on our mailing list, right? At blackintherapy.com. Also, um... If you want to send us feedback, show suggestions, uh, topics, whatever, hit us up at blackintherapy at gmail.com. Have a good one.